If everyone could please come into the sanctuary, we're ready to start. Good morning. Let's stand up and sing this beautiful song day by day and with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause to worry or to fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure mingling toil with peace and rest. Day by day, he's with us and caring for us until we reach that heavenly shore. We'll be with him forever. Oh. 
until you reach the promised land. We know we haven't reached that promised land when we have pain and we have sorrow and we have disappointment and we have trials and all these things that happen. But they're preparing us for something greater. That when the Lord comes, all those old things will be gone. We'll be with him forever. And what a joy that's going to be. There'll be no goodbyes. We'll never have to say, see you tomorrow. We'll be there with him and with each other forever. What a joy and blessing that will be. Welcome to the San Ramon Valley Bible Church this morning. You've come to the right place to hear the word of God. We're going to have special music by Ginny who will sing a solo for us. And our dear brother Rajiv Nicholas, who's here from Sri Lanka. And I think most of us know Rajiv. He's a dear brother serving the Lord really as a missionary there, bringing the gospel and teaching the word and serving as an elder in the assembly there in Colombo in Sri Lanka. So we love you, brother. We welcome you. You're part of our family. And we look forward to hearing your message. At this time, we're going to ask Alan Pakhtakhan to come up and open in prayer. And then we'll have the announcements and the rest of the meeting. Alan. Good morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this beautiful day where we can worship you. Give you thanks and praise you. Uh, we just pray now, Lord, for a dear brother, Rajiv, that you would empower him. Hide him behind the cross. Let our ears and hearts be sensitive to your still small voice in this chaotic world. Um, we pray for his family as he's away from them, Lord. Bless them as well uh, and keep them healthy. Um, again, we thank you for this, for this day again. Uh, we love you and uh, we just thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. We are missing a few people today. Bill Murray contracted food poisoning. So it's hit him before, too. So pray for Bill that he'll recover quickly. I know Ray Brown is sick, and there's a number of others that are not feeling well. Turhan's mother was taken to the emergency, so he's with her this morning. So let's pray for her and pray for Turhan and his family that the Lord will comfort and encourage. We also mentioned earlier at the breaking of bread, uh, her name was Fel Puzan. And she passed away. She was Michael Puzan's grandmother and Jean's Cruz's aunt. And they named her Grandma Darling. And when you name somebody Grandma Darling, that's somebody very near and precious to you. And in the case of uh, Michael, he shared that she was like a mother to him. And Jean, very close to her as well. And we're going through these things. Many of us have lost loved ones and family members. It seems it's happening a lot nowadays. But one day, we'll be in heaven and we'll never have these things ever again, as I said. So we rejoice in the Lord today. Just for a few uh, announcements, tomorrow night will be our choir practice at 6 o'clock. Following that at 7 will be a women's dinner. I know the women enjoy it very much, as do the men who had theirs last week. So please see Sonia Sisko to uh, pay your $10 and sign up for a great dinner from Baja Fresh. It's always excellent. There'll be a prayer meeting here in the sanctuary for the men at 7.30. On Wednesday night, the worship team will practice at 5 and choir at 6. And then at 7.30, we carry on our Bible study in Ephesians. As Adel has been giving us rich studies in this book. And actually, this week, and not on Ephesians, it'll be Rajiv, actually. I'm sorry. Rajiv will be speaking this Wednesday at 7.30, bringing us the message from God's Word. So do pray for that as well. Thursday, there'll be the women's study at 10 o'clock in the morning and then the Friday groups on Friday. 
Coming up at the end of the month on the 31st will be Harvest Festival. I was really encouraged the other day. I have a calendar. It's a Christian calendar, and every calendar you get, it says on the 31st. What does it say? Halloween. It's not Halloween. It's, it's Harvest Fest. We celebrate it in a different way. The kids come to that evening, and they're dressed up in biblical costumes, and they share who they are and why they chose that, that character, and we have a puppet show and great food and refreshments at the Danville Grange Hall at 6 o'clock on the 31st. Well, I have this Christian calendar upstairs in my office. I can show it to you. On the 31st, it doesn't have Halloween. I said, praise be to God, because Halloween is, is about goblins, ghosts, witches, evil, satanic things, and we don't have any part in that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank God for that. At this time now, we're going to ask Jenny to come up, and she's going to sing a f solo for us, and then following that, dear brother Rajiv will bring us the message from the Word.
A very good morning to each and every one of you. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you could please turn with me to Judges chapter 7, please. It's almost a year since I last spoke to you, and I don't expect that you remember uh, that I was uh, speaking to you on lessons from the life of Gideon. And uh, we've been through three messages in that, and I thought I hadn't come to the, uh, the last bit of Judges chapter 7, so I thought that today perhaps we could finish that. So Judges chapter 7, and <clears throat> we finished last time at verse 16, and today we'll pick it up at verse 17. Perhaps if I could ask Dean uh, if you wouldn't mind reading this for us, please. Judges chapter 7, verse 17, and we'll go through to chapter 8 and verse 4. Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 17. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow a trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred, three hundred men and the hundred men who were with him came to the outposts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. The army fled to Beth Acacia, toward Zerah as far as the border of Abel Meloah by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim, gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeeb they killed at the winepress of Zeeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went up to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Thank you, Dean. I won't be going over the story with you because I'm sure you all know the story of Gideon very well. 
But like before, I will just pick certain uh, points out from Gideon's life so that we can learn some lessons to apply to our life. Now, the triumph over the Midianites was a result of God's intervention. God's hand was directly working. There was nothing that uh, Gideon or the people around him did that caused the victory. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 7, you'll see the Lord speaking there. And he says, I have delivered it into thine hand. So it was all the Lord's doing. But however, Gideon's men, they did have a part to play. And uh, we have already seen before that they did not have, uh, uh, they had some unusual equipment. The men themselves were under very strict orders to carry out Gideon's instructions. And I want to pick it up now at verse 17, uh, Gideon's instruction to them. Look very carefully. He says, look on me and do likewise. You see, here's the first lesson for today. Success depend on, dependent on them imitating their leader. The success of Gideon's 300 men was very much dependent on them following and obeying what their leader said. You see, there was many things that they could uh, look at Gideon and learn. For example, his zeal. We saw in verse 1 that he was up early in the morning. He was uh, zealous. He wanted to get to work. He wanted to achieve things for God. Then there was Gideon's wisdom. We noted earlier that he had uh, camped his army next to the well of Hebron because every army needs a watering hole to supply water for the army. And in the same way, we can say that water is like the word of God. If before you go to battle, you need to fill yourselves with the word of God. You need to be camped with the word of God. You need to be feeding and drinking of the word of God. So the men of uh, uh, that Gideon had selected, well, they could remember his zeal. They could remember his wisdom. Then they could remember how he worshipped God. In verse 15, you will notice that when the dream was interpreted, what did Gideon do? The very first thing, he got down on his knees and he worshipped God. Hearing the interpretation drove Gideon to his knees. You see, <clears throat> uh, seeing God at work should always promote a spirit of worship and thankfulness in us. And uh, Gideon's men could see this in him. And then there was uh, his conduct. Gideon's men could learn from his conduct. In fact, in verse um, In verse 14, we see that the enemy knew Gideon by name. You see, because he was a godly man, he had godly conduct, and what that did is it attracted the attention of others. The devil 
he knows those who are a threat to him by name. Gideon's godly conduct was so well known that the enemy knew him by name. So you see, these are the things that Gideon's men needed to copy. His zeal, his wisdom, his worship, his conduct. If they imitated all these things, they would have success come into their life. Success depended on them imitating their leader. You see, in the things of God, responsible men among God's people must set a worthy example for us. Elders must be examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5.3 tells us that. Remember Timothy, the teacher was told, be thou an example to believers in 1 Timothy 4.12. And then Paul, who was the pioneer evangelist and father figure among the saints, what did he say? Well, we see it in Philippians 4.9. Those things which ye have seen in me do. Those things which ye have seen in me do. You see, a brother who has a high profile, he must be exemplary. No one should say the words, but it's unwritten that uh, by his behavior and influence, he should be making others want to imitate him. And the success that God gives will then be passed on. So, uh, Gideon's words in verse 17, that's the first lesson for us today. Look on me and do likewise. Success dependent on them imitating their leader. And then, next I want you to notice, the next lesson is found in verse 18. Uh, with a trumpet in their right hand and a lamp in their left hand, these 300 men had no room to carry any sword with them or any um, instrument of war. So what did they do? It says, uh, look at verse 18. It says, say the word of the Lord. Verse 18 says, say the word or the sword of the Lord. You see, uh, they were told to say it. But such was their enthusiasm for God that in verse 20, we are told that they cried the sword of the Lord. Do you see that there? Verse 18, uh, right at the end of the verse, it says, say the sword of the Lord. And then verse 20, they cried the sword of the Lord. You see, uh, such was their enthusiasm that they cried it out. They did not need to say it out. It is good when believers are so eager that they put that extra bit into their endeavors. No need to tell them uh, what to do, but they go ahead and they do it with all their heart, with all their enthusiasm. You know that sometimes preachers will tell you that you should pray three times a day, or uh, you should read the Bible in the morning and evening. Uh, or you should give generously towards God's work. But, you know, there is no need for you just to follow the minimum or the bare requirement. Go ahead and do it with enthusiasm. Go ahead and do more than you are asked to do. Go ahead and give to God more than 
uh, even he is expecting of you. They were asked to just say the words, the sword of the Lord. They went ahead and cried out the soul of the Lord. They gave more than they were asked. Then I want you to notice next in verse 21 that there are three interesting uh, features about Gideon's 300 men. Firstly, I want you to notice that in verse 21 it tells us that they stood. They stood. They had no mandate to attack, although uh, they would later pursue the enemy when they were fleeing. But there are occasions when God encourages what appears to be um, relative inactivity or no action on our part just to demonstrate that he is at work. Have you noticed that, my brother and sister? There are times when he just wants us to stand. They stood. He just wants us to watch him at work. He doesn't want us to uh, go ahead and, you know, we have all kinds of plans in our head. We can do it this way. We can do it that way. We can solve the problem. But sometimes he just wants us to stand and watch what he is saying. In Exodus uh, chapter 14 and verse 13, when faced with the insurmountable Red Sea, Israel was commanded, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then uh, on another occasion, you can see that Jehoshaphat, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, he was told, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And then you may remember Ruth in Ruth 3.18 was told to sit still. And then you may also remember in Psalm 46.10 where we are encouraged to be still and know that I am God. You see, my brother, my sister, it takes great courage, it takes patience uh, and faith to remain inactive when natural instinct will be pushing us towards frenzied activity or to do something. Uh, but Gideon's men, they all just stood. They just stood still and they let God do the work. So we have to learn when to be up and doing and when to be standing back and observing God at work. Gideon and his men, they stood and allowed God to work. And then I want you also to notice the second point in verse 21 about these 300 men was that every man stood. Do you see those words there? Every man stood. There was no absentees. There was no shirkers. Every one of the 300 men, they felt responsible. There was no gaps in the ranks. If you want to function well as a church for God, if you want to do great things for God, you all need to stand together without any gaps in the ranks. Every man, do you see those words there? Every man stood. They were all working together for God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23, Paul tells us that the whole church came together in one place. The work of God 
requires the wholehearted participation of every member of the church. If you go on a withdrawal of labor or a go slow, you can never achieve things for God. Be like Gideon's men. Uh, the Lord has given to every man his work. Mark chapter 13 and verse 34. Every man has his own work. And so let every man, let every woman here be fully committed to do the work that God has allocated for them. Every man stood. There was no absentees or shirkers in this army. And then the third point I want you to notice from verse 21 is this. That each of the 300 men uh, stood in his place. Stood in his place. Uh, in other words, each of them had been assigned a specific location. Stood in his place. They just stood rooted to that spot. There was no attempt to encroach on somebody else's territory. They were content to play the part that was assigned to them. You see, in the New Testament church, every believer has been allocated a specific task and has been gifted specifically for that assignment. And you know that uh, if you study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will know that there are various gifts, a myriad of gifts. And we have all been gifted differently and separately. But the point is this. Every believer has the responsibility of exercising the gift that has been given to them. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, As every man has received a gift, even so minister the same one to another. You see, the danger lies in this in aspiring to someone else's gift or coveting someone else's sphere of activity. You see, never attempt to function in a sphere for which you have not been fitted. Like Gideon's men, stand in your own place, do your own work, exercise your own gift. So those are the three key things that we see in verse 21 that they stood, they stood and watched God at work. Every man stood, there was no absentees or there was no shirkers. And then everyone stood in his place. They each did their own job without encroaching on somebody else's work. Then moving on, uh, into verse 22, we see that it was the Lord who set every man's sword against his fellow. You see, evidently the lights, the trumpets, the shouting, they threw the enemy into panic and these con contributed to the disarray. But in verse 22 tells us it is the Lord who set every man's sword against his fellow. The Lord had earlier in the previous chapter said to Gideon, Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. But here we are learning that while it was Gideon's strategy, while it was Gideon's weaponry, while it was Gideon's men, it was 
the divine hand of the Lord that ensured victory. So we need to be aware that in every aspect of Christian living, Christian service, uh, whatever excellent plans that we have, uh, we could be energetically active, uh, we could have enthusiastic preachers, uh, we could have beautiful singing, uh, we could have fantastic uh, uh, websites, but these will all prove futile unless the Lord is in it. Gideon's victory dependent on the Lord being in it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he tells us, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to thank him all the time because he is the one who gives us the victory. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. It is God that uses us to bring victory in our lives. Whenever there is a great battle that we may have won, whenever we have achieved some great thing, whether it's in our family life, whether it's in our home life, whether it's in our working life, whatever spirit it is, let us be those that give thanks to God because he is the one who has brought victory into our life. Moving on to the end of uh, chapter 7, uh, I'd like to mention uh, in verse 25 the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. You see, with the Midianites in retreat, Gideon summoned reinforcements, and in particular, he called the Ephraimites to come and help join the battle, head them off at the Jordan. And these Ephraimites, uh, or the men of Ephraim, captured and slew these two famous Midian princes. And their names are Oreb and Zeb. And their names mean this, raven and wolf, respectively. And probably it is an indication of their character. You see, these men were ruthless predators who had... Uh, relentlessly intimidated and they had also uh, deprived the people of God. And now we are learning a very important scriptural principle here that uh, in James 2.13 this scriptural principle is mentioned. It says he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. You see, I was coming uh, in the Yalain this week, and when I left my home in Sri Lanka, and when I reached uh, uh, the shores of California, and I switched on the news, I found out that one of the great dictators in this world had finally been caught and killed. Uh, I'm sure most of you would know about Colonel Gaddafi in Libya. And this is a man also uh, that had shown no mercy uh, while he was ruling for 42 years. There was uh, various instances of how he would terrorize people, uh, how uh, even God's people 
uh, were put to the sword under him. And then when the time came, and when I arrived here and I was looking at the news um, on the internet, and I saw these pictures of the moment he was captured. And when I looked at it, I saw that his people showed him no mercy. Did you see those pictures? I could see that his people showed him no mercy. Why was that? Because he had shown no mercy during his lifetime. And this is a very important scriptural principle. These men, Oreb and Zeb, they had done many wrong things to the people of God. And they thought they could get away with it. But one day, it always catches up with you. And those words in James 2.13, He shall have judgment without mercy that had shown no mercy. Let us make sure that we are people who have the fear of God in us. That we have the fear that our God is an all-powerful, almighty God. Someone who keeps his promises. And that uh, if you are sitting there this morning, think away, thinking, I can go to church on Sunday, I can pretend that uh, I'm a good Christian, I can say all the right words, things go away, and then do as I wish the rest of the week, and then get away with it, my friend, you're sadly mistaken. It will one day catch up with you. Just like it caught up with that man in Libya this week. So Oreb and Zeb, the, the Ephraimites who were called in to help Gideon, they found them and they slew them. Then uh, next, I want you to notice this. The people of Ephraim who had been called in by Gideon to come and help uh, him in the battle, they had a big opinion about themselves. You see, when the land was being divided during Joshua's day, they were uh, annoyed when they judged that they were given an inadequate allocation of the land. And uh, when it, they came looking for extra territory in Joshua chapter 17, and they said that we are a great people. What a great ego these Ephraimites had. And here they felt slighted that Gideon had ignored them when he first went to battle, they felt slighted that Gideon had only chosen 300 men and they did not choose them. And so um, um, they are causing a problem to Gideon in the first few verses of chapter 8. So what do we do? with a people like Midian, how do you, uh, uh, from Ephraim, how do you handle such proud and self-opinionated people? Well, we can learn a lesson from how Gideon uh, handles them. You see, both Joshua and Gideon dealt with them with the most utmost tact. Joshua agreed with their assessment that they were a great people. They would, that would have pleased them. Uh, he challenged them to prove their greatness by capturing more hill country, by felling its trees, by driving out their enemies. You see, Joshua knew how to deal with these people without giving in to them, without submitting to them, but he challenged them to do greater things. But how did Gideon handle them? Well, 
Gideon was as diplomatic. Let's look at the first few verses in uh, chapter 8. Now in Proverbs 18, verse 19, there is a verse that says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a stronger city. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. So spiritual psychology was applied to this situation by Gideon. What did he do? He played down his own contribution and magnified theirs by praising their accomplishments. Com what he did was he compared their war effort uh, favorably with his. Look at verse 2. He says, what have I done now in comparison of you? He's putting himself down and he's lifting these men of Ephraim up. What he's saying is, look, you all are the guys who have captured the big men, Oreb Benzib. Uh, I have only dealt with the small fry. He gave them satisfaction that they had felt used by God. You see, uh, God uh, had delivered into your hands the princes of Midian. Look at verse 3. God had delivered into your hands the princes of Midian. What was he doing? He gave them satisfaction of feeling that they had been used by God. See how the way he dealt with them? A dangerous situation was diffused by appeasing these volatile men. Uh, because in verse 3 it tells us that their anger towards him abated. You see, it is a, a, a very good lesson. It's a classic answer this to that uh, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turneth away wrath. And that is exactly what Gideon did here. He gave, he brought himself down, he lifted themselves up, he gave them all the credit for the victory, and then it diffused this uh, situation. So let us also be people uh, who can learn the same lesson that Gideon was. He humbled himself. He was willing to let others take the glory and the praise for the work that even he had done. The story in chapter 12, later on you can read it, is so very different. The uh, arrogant Ephraimites, they attempted to bully Jephthah and they threatened to burn him alive. He had already been proved to be uh, Jephthah proved to be a very blunt and belligerent character. He didn't seem to have any negotiating skills or he lacked the wisdom and tact that Joshua and Gideon had. And he had a big conflict in chapter 12 with the men of Ephraim. But Gideon, he did not um, fall for that thing. He may have been inclined to want to bring these men of Ephraim down a peg or two, but he didn't do it. He was diplomatic. Then, uh, finally, I want you to look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that Gideon hunted the Midianites relentlessly. Do you see the words there? Faint, yet pursuing them. You see, his attitude was expressed by Paul uh, when he said, I press on. Gideon was faint, he was tired, but yet he continued 
the work for God. My brother, my sister, you may feel faint. You may feel weary. You may be feel tired uh, week after week. You are doing your best for God. You are coming to your church. You are serving God. But be like Gideon. He was faint. But yet he pursued on and he did the work. There is a great reward awaiting those who are faint but carry on the work for God. He did not allow the episode with the men of Ephraim to distract him. He did not allow physical weariness to deter him. He did not uh, allow the lack of cooperation that he got from uh, the men of Sakath and Penuel to uh, discourage him. He was focused on finishing his assignment. May we all be as resolute as Gideon. And um, just before I close uh, my time's up, uh, I'll just remind you that uh, the first lesson that we learned today was Gideon said, look on me and do likewise. Remember this, imitate godly leaders that you have. Your success for your life depends on you imitating your godly leaders. And then remember, be enthusiastic about God's word. They were told to say the sword of the Lord. But what did they do instead? They cried out the sword of the Lord. Go more than you are asked to do. Spend more time in the word of God. Spend more time in prayer. And then remember, sometimes it is better to just stand still and admire God at work. Instead of being in a frenzy, trying to get as much things done as possible, the men, they stood. And remember that every man stood. There was no gaps in the ranks. If you all, all work together as one, you can achieve great things for God as a church. If you all work together. And remember that every man stood in his place. Each of you has been allocated a task. Stand in your place, be content with doing your work without encroaching on others' territory. And these 300 men followed these uh, instructions to the letter and they had great success in their endeavors. You will also have great success in your life and your endeavors if you follow these things. And remember that it was the Lord who brought victory uh, in this situation. Uh, it may have been Gideon's strategy, his weaponry, his men, but it was the divine hand that ensured victory. Give thanks be to God. Give, be people who are uh, willing to worship and thank him for every little thing that he has done in their lives. And remember that scriptural principle, he shall have judgment without mercy that had shown no mercy. Those men, Oreb and Zeb, in previous chapters you will read about how they had relentlessly terrorized God's people. But one day it did catch up with them and they were punished. And then remember to be a person like Gideon was, be a diplomat. When people came to him, and they were saying, you know, why didn't you call us for the battle? They were trying to find fault with them. He praised them. He gave them all the credit for the victory, even though they had hardly anything they had done. 
he made himself a lower part. Let us all be content with, you know, our natural human instinct is to push ourselves up. I can do this, I can do that, I can achieve great things. But let us be content with lowering ourselves. Let us raise others up. Uh, and then we will see these kind of principles that Gideon followed. If we uh, bring that to our life, we will also enjoy the same success that he had tried to be as uh, diplomatic as he was. And then finally, faint yet pursuing. He was tired. He'd done a lot of work, but yet he carried on. He pursued. He did not allow physical weariness to deter him. He did not allow the lack of cooperation from others to stop him. Uh, he focused on finishing the assignment. May we all be as resolute as Gideon was. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank thee for these few moments that thou hast given for us to look into the life of Gideon and learn some lessons from his life. We thank thee, our Father, for great men and women of God who have gone forth before us and that from them that we can learn principles to apply to our life so that we could also lead a victorious Christian life. Help us, our Father, to be more like them, to lead lives that are pleasing to thee. Part us now with thy blessings. We ask this in the altogether lovely name, the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.